Okay. Is it moving? Yeah. It's and so then just set it down. Okay. So, I'm gonna set that down. So, a few years ago, I believe the Lord gave me a vision involving a flame. First, I saw almost like an Olympic-sized torch being handed down from one person to another. And then second, I saw a match, the flame shrinking slowly away from the head of the stick. And the person receiving the match was trying feebly to blow on it in a frantic way, attempting to revive the flame, keep it from dying out. And the question I was left with was, what type of fire would I pass down to the next generation? Will it be a, a, a dwindling faith, void of anything substantial, practically having to be completely rebuilt by whoever inherits it? Or will I pass on a zealous fire, inspiring, encouraging the next ones who inherit it to run with fervor, to continue building on what has already been established and known and build it even more for the next generation? Right now and always, we have an enemy coming so aggressively and ruthlessly for this next generation that I have a hard time picturing many who'd be willing to not only take that torch, but then run with it faster than we ran. It doesn't take a genius to see that things are getting infinitely darker all around us each and every day. And I have a message for us. We live in a fallen world. It's not going to get better until Christ returns. And in fact, I think it'll get significantly worse, specifically for Christians. It's already getting harder and harder to assert truth, let alone biblical truth, in many spheres of life, but I'm here to encourage you not to shut up. I'm here to tell you that we have a role to play and a job to do, and I believe it's time we stand up and get ready to fight. So let's talk about where we're currently at. I believe we're right on par. Oh, you know, would you grab me my Bible? <laughs> I left it. Thank you. Thanks. I believe we're right on par with Romans 1. Um, Romans 1's got me fired up in the last few months, and I think I've read it probably 30 times. So I'm going to run through it quickly. Just, and I'll, I'm just going to read through this portion of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So I want to note there, it is unrighteousness that suppresses truth. God cannot lie and he cannot, cannot be with a lie. So therefore, to suppress truth is the antithesis of God. So it says, because what, we may be, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the beginning of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even in his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were, thank nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I'm going to stop. This was over a period of time and over a pattern that had developed leading to this darkening of their foolish hearts. And they took what was the Lord's and promulgated it as their own. They knew about God, but did not exalt him as God. Does that sound familiar? 
Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And skipping down to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So we're talking about sin on top of sin on top of sin, endorsed by and celebrated by those who ought to know better. People who know the righteous judgment of God are not people who are simply deceived, but rather have turned from what they know and choose to continue deceiving others. That also sounds familiar. And, you know, I, I grew up in a home that came from the Mennonite background on both sides. So I grew up apolitical 100%. I didn't know anything about politics. But I love politics now. I love talking about it. I love learning about it. I love, I think it's fascinating discussing how and why certain things influence our lives. I like talking to people that disagree with me. I like to debate in a healthy way. How and why can our ideas merge? How does this form things? How, how can we flesh out the ideas and, and view them through a biblical lens? But something that I think has happened over the years is that political parties on both sides have adopted issues that are almost like core tenets to their party. And so in doing so, it's caused everyday people like you and I to tiptoe around certain topics because we don't want to appear political or in reality partisan. But that's such a huge disservice and a deception to everyone. If we really believe that these words here are given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, like 2 Timothy 3 says, then why aren't we applying it to every single area of our lives? No matter which political party may approve or disapprove of it, if God himself and his words are the ultimate authority in our life, There'd be a lot less piddling around with things like your truth and my truth. And we'd understand that truth is truth. And we'd apply scripture like a, like a clarifying salve where it needs to be applied. We have a hard time offending, myself included. So we gloss over a conversation point where someone asserts something as fact, when in, in reality, it's a point that should be debated. You see, in Romans 1, suppressing truth is unrighteousness. And what does it lead to? Foolish hearts being darkened. And I don't want that for us, but I think that's what's happening across our nation. I think we're allowing ourselves to believe lies. And sometimes we say, oh, well, I know it's not true. Are you talking to somebody who asserts those things as true? Are you confidently saying, no, that's not right? And not back down. Have you ever heard of Drag Queen Story Hour? Drag Queen Story Hour. So these are events that are kind of like gaining steam across the nation. And they're often put on in libraries, so they're funded by the taxpayer. And 
there was one that I heard about that really got me excited, and I'll tell you why. You know, on the, in these events, usually a man shows up dressed as a woman and demands to be called a woman, and these events are targeted to children ages like two to seven, eight years old. Yeah, small children. And the whole aim is to get children comfortable with and even celebrating drag queen, cross-dressing, homosexuality, transgender, the whole gambit. So in Rexburg, Idaho, there was a drag queen story hour coming to their library and a pastor heard about it. So he got a hold of a whole bunch of other pastors and a whole bunch of other godly men. And they showed up to Drag Queen Story Hour. They showed up about an hour before, and by the time the event was started to, other people started to come in, every single seat in the room was filled, and then some, standing room only. So then by the time women wanting to bring their children to Drag Queen Story Hour came in, they had nowhere to go but the back. And they started complaining that they couldn't see anything, missing the point of these men being there. And so then, as scheduled, when the event is about to begin, a pastor stands up and he looks at the library director and he says, what's the maximum occupancy of this room? <laughs> as directed by the fire marshal. And so reluctantly, the library director got up and was forced to remove everyone except these pastors and godly men who stood up and said, no thank you, not today, not in my backyard. That is raising a respectable ruckus. They're standing between evil and these children. It's not their children who are going to this. I don't even know if they all had children, but they were moved. They saw evil coming and they stood between them. If you think that can't happen here, Idaho is one of the reddest states in our nation. From their representatives to their senators all across the board, it reads Republican. If it can happen there, it can happen here as long as we allow it. This is the kind of stuff we have to be watching out for, ready to act when the situation warrants, because I tell you there are situations warranting a firm response every single day. We've all heard about the Proverbs 31 woman, right? So recently I noticed that there's almost like an anti-31 woman in Proverbs. She's in Proverbs 9. So if you want to look there, I'll read that for you. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing, for she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. So this Proverbs, 31, or Proverbs 9 woman, she's simple and she knows nothing. So it seems to me it's not that she's just uneducated, but rather chooses to know nothing. The Amplified Version, it says that she's naive and easily misled and thoughtless and knows nothing at all of eternal value. So it seems to me that she has no plumb line. She has nothing grounding her. Then it says she corrupts, she pulls away, or it, she corrupts. It says she pulls away those who are straight on their way. Someone with a mission. And she's calling to them. Come over here. Come over here. She takes advantage of those without discerning and understandment. Under, understanding? 
She feeds them falsities and lies, and she lures them in with deception. Whoever's simple, let them turn in here. You don't need to know much, I'll tell you. Stolen water is sweet. She keeps company with those in the depths of hell. I don't know what that means practically, but I don't want to be a part of that. Let's look over to Proverbs 31 then. And I'm just going to kind of skim through it there. It's the second half of 31, so starting in 10. We could list a lot of things here, but let's just pull out a few traits of this woman. Look at verse 11. She's trustworthy. The things she says are true. Verse 13, she uses the resources God has given her and does something about it. She works with her hands, purchases wool and flax, brings food and resources to her home, even supplying her maidservants. Verse 16, she, um, from her prophet, she plants a vineyard. She's not just thinking about today and right now. She's preparing for the future, continuing the work from here. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. So she's concerned with the quality of things coming into her home. She's measuring, weighing her options. Her lamp is prepared so it doesn't go out by night. Verse 19, she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hand to the needy. That's the opposite of Proverbs 9. Woman who is taking advantage of those who don't know any better. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household is clothed with scarlet. This woman's on it. She sees the times coming and has prepared her home, so she's not fearful. Skip down to verse 25. We see strength, honor, rejoicing when it's warranted, wisdom, law of kindness, watching over, not eating the bread of idleness. This woman is prepared. She knows what time it is. She knows what's going on. She isn't wasting that time. She sees the seasons and she prepares. But how? Look at verse 30. This woman fears the Lord. This Proverbs 31 woman is a breath of fresh air to that foolish one from chapter 9. She gets me fired up. And the picture I have in my head has changed so much over the years. And I used to pass by this chapter because I'd heard it so many times. But then I saw there's something to be said about being a godly wife. <laughs> I saw that from women here and women all around me. But then I also I noticed that I had this image of this woman with someone who was weak, mild-mannered, and just keeping her head down, doing what she's told. But that's not what she is. This woman is a defender of her home. She's a gatekeeper to her home. She strives to be trusted by, the, by her husband so that he will have no lack of gain. She observes the times and seasons. She doesn't roll over and succumb to trials. She stands up, fears the Lord, strengthens her arms, prepares her family in such a righteous manner that it makes me like, let's go, let's go. This isn't your modern like hashtag girl boss or like hashtag hustle hard. She's grounded in something, you know? She's not defenseless, not at all. She's grounded in the word of God. She's defended by the Lord and his wisdom. And then she's moved by the fear of the Lord and does something about it. Let's be like that. Let's go to Ezekiel 33. Again, so this is talking about the watchman on the tower. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land, take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, 
Then whoever hears the sound of the Lord, or the sound of the trumpet, and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet; he did not take warning; his blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from this way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall surely die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So there's two different things here. If, you see, if he saw the sword coming on the land and he warned, but the people didn't heed their warning, their blood's on their own head. But if he saw the sword coming on the land and didn't warn, those who were taken away would be in their own iniquity, but their blood is also required at the watchman's hand. And I don't say this lightly. I know it sounds dramatic, but there's a sword coming for us. I'm blowing the trumpet left and right the last few years. It's like constantly, either someone's renouncing their faith and leaving altogether, or they've become completely deceived, adopting altogether sinful, heinous beliefs as Christianity and deceiving even more in the process. It's happening on like a one-on-one -on -one basis of people I know personally, but it's also happening on the grand stage. Christian artists, authors, speakers, all of it. And I'm tired of it. It feels like we're being picked off one by one. There's a very real threat coming for each and every one of us constantly. I'm not saying that as a fear-mongering thing, but I'm saying let's get ready. Don't be caught off guard. Learn from that Proverbs 31 woman. Prepare yourselves in your homes. Prepare anyone who will listen. Be grounded in the word. Know the word so that it can't be easily misaligned, leading you down a trail of deception. That second part of Ezekiel 33, if you do not warn the wicked, so it's out there. We can't change their hearts and minds by policies, but we can change their hearts and minds by the word of God, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. But if there's no one to warn the wicked, and we are called to do this. If there's no one to warn the wicked, we were called wicked before we accepted the blood of Jesus. How will they know and turn? And if we at least give them the opportunity to turn by sharing the gospel with them, at least we can say we were obedient to the Lord by telling them. Also, continuing to appease people where they're at and allowing them to remain in sin willfully without calling it out, that's not giving them an opportunity to turn. If the world doesn't recognize the need for a savior, which they largely don't, how would they recognize that they actually need to be saved? In 1943, there was a Croatian man who fled to Bratislava and took his mother's last name of Kolakovic in order to keep himself hidden from the Nazis. Kolakovic was a Jesuit priest and an anti-fascist activist who had spent time studying the Soviet Union during his training as a priest. He understood the form and function of totalitarianism and communism, 
and he feared for the church at the fall of German totalitarianism. And so the land he lived in was making peace deals with Stalin, but Kolakovich was not at peace. He worried greatly about the damaging effects that the church would go through, that communism would have on them. So he began to preach boldly in support of a whole life devotion to Christ and Christ only. His core teaching was that all men and women must live and act in truth according to moral responsibility before God. He taught, see, judge, act. He called on his brothers and sisters to observe what was being sold in the realm of ideas, judge according to reality and doctrine, and then act accordingly, rejecting or accepting those ideas. It was simple, it was effective, and there came a time when these prayer circles and these, these followers of this man, resistance cells, were seen in every area of life in this country, thus becoming the underground church under communism. And so eventually they were all arrested, but when they emerged from prisons years later, they didn't skip a beat. They just went right back to rebuilding the church. And these spiritual grandchildren of this man, Kolakovich, are the ones who brought the church through the rule of communism. Their spiritual flame was not extinguished because of discerning and brave men and women devoted to the cause of Christ. Hosea 13, 4 through 6 says, Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. When they had pasture, they were filled. When they were filled, they were filled and their hearts were exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. God's people were full. They were satiated. And as much as it sounds backwards, this caused them to forget their God and all that he had done for them. They began to take pride in their own efforts, as if they were the ones who were producing anything good. They exalted their own hearts, thus forgetting God. We live such decadent lives here. We live lives of ease, of comfort. That's our whole goal as a nation, it seems, is to create lives of, of, of comfort. If it doesn't make you happy, or if it doesn't make your life easier, just get rid of it, right? Does that sound like the message that Jesus came to teach? Maybe the mantra of our nation is keeping us from aligning ourselves with the trajectory Jesus would have us live. And we haven't been realizing just how much it changes our look or our motivation or what our drive is. And these things that we've filled our life with bring us comfort. Are, are we holding on to those with a loose grip? Are, willing, are we willing to drop them at a moment's notice? People we listen to, people we follow, if they go off the rails, are you willing to drop it? Or are you like, well, I really like them, so I'm going to give them a little bit more time. And I'm not saying be mean, be ruthless, whatever, but this is, this is our ultimate discerner. You know? He's given us these words as a plumb line. I think persecution will come. If not in our generation, then the one after us, or the one after us. But if we're not ready, if we're not prepared, if we're caught sleeping, does that flame go out? Or are we prepared to drop what is comfortable to us? Friendships, jobs, material items. Look at everything in your life. 
Is that what holds you? Is that what comforts you? Would you give those things up if it meant you could remain faithful to the God who sent his own son to die for you? Was the cross enough for you to forego those comforts and luxuries in this fleeting moment that we have? And here's the thing. Maybe it won't come right now. Maybe it won't come in a time that we see it. But again, what is that flame we've passed on to them? Will they be prepared? Will we fail to teach and guide them on this because we're too comfortable with all of our streaming devices, stores with everything readily available, that we couldn't be bothered to give them up if those things openly came against the ideas that we hold dearly and that the Creator has given us? Our children, their children, our friends, people around us can see that the world is losing their minds and what they need is truth. What they need is confidence to look over and see you standing up in righteousness so that they feel emboldened to do the same. This is selfish here because I don't want to do this by myself. Jesus did, and so if he can, then I suppose I can as well, but I don't think that's necessary. We have women in every walk of life here, so there's no reason for us to be doing this ourselves. One day my kids will probably want to hear from somebody other than mom or dad. And so I need to know that there are women around here that are willing to point them right back to the word of God, unfalteringly. And I pray I can do the same for you. I don't want to go down without a fight. If we stand arm in arm, if we can at least bridge that gap between evil and what they're going to see coming up, we can bridge that and show them what a strong, godly woman is, walking in meekness, not weakness. Meekness is power under control. And we've been given that spirit of self-control. We can be zealous for the Lord, but still have that control. And he can give us wisdom, just like he did those men who said, he told them to go to story hour. What in the world? But look at what they did. At the very least, it sent a message to their community saying, oh, maybe this isn't right. Maybe I should double check this. And so if we can stand arm in arm, if we can say, maybe you might extinguish it, but not until I'm done kicking and screaming in solidarity. It's got to be one heck of a fight. Because I think it's worth it, and I think that's what the Lord has equipped us to do. I don't remember how I was going to end this. <laughs> I started this all over the other day, so it's all over. Um, I want us to prepare together. I want us to encourage anyone who will listen. I want us to be annoying in a way that people can't help but listen and can't help but get fired up. Maybe there's something to that. Speak truth. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid in these in one-on-one -on -one conversations that you're having with people. Don't be afraid when they say something 
That is clearly not right. And, and I'm saying this as somebody who had to learn the hard way. I had a conversation with a person a couple of months ago and we were referencing a DJ at this wedding. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll have to check out her repertoire. I'll have to check out her work. And she goes, I don't know if she goes by her. And I just like was so stunned that I just stopped. And it was like, you know what? Maybe she didn't really know what that meant. Maybe she hasn't been met with a contrary opinion on that. But how hard would it have been to be like, well, if God made her a girl, I'm gonna call her a girl. It's as simple as that. But when we continue to suppress truth willingly, that's unrighteousness. That causes foolish hearts to be darkened. We can't have that inside of the church. That's fruitless. Do you have something you want to share? I'd like to give a testimony. Yeah. My name's Jeanette. I go to Hope Christian Fellowship. And my son, he just graduated high school. But this year, before he graduated early in January. But before he graduated, there was a teacher in that high school. His name was uh, Mr. Caseo. I never met the man. But the man is a Christian man. He stood up when they told the teacher the night before, it was on a Wednesday night, the school board met, and they told the, all the teachers, all the workers in there, they had to use pronouns if there was a child there that did not want be called he, she, girl, boy, man, woman, and this teacher, this kid was in his class, he's a science teacher. So he has the science behind him. And this kid wanted him to call him down or they or whatever. And uh, he says, I'm not going to do it. The school board told him that anybody that refused, they did not have a job. So he was told that he, was, he had to wait and had to go in front of the school board. Our little town, Hookstown, Southern Pennsylvania, that's where my son went to school. It wasn't just him. The next day, and I knew nothing about it, because I don't get on Facebook and TikTok and all this other, he had a youth group. His son and the kids that was in that youth group, and a whole big bunch of the other seniors walked out. It was on the news. And so come a big thing. And they, then they called another school board meeting. He was off all weekend. And you've seen signs in everybody's yards through Hookstown area. Put Mr. Casado back in. Wow. And he went in front of the school board and he says, I know what science says. He says, we're born a man or a woman. He said, not only my faith believes it, but science proves it. Mm -hmm. So you need to listen to what the kids are doing. You need to support your children. You need to see that they get up and they stand up for what they believe. Mm -hmm. I didn't know my son walked out of school. I just got a call. So I looked to find out where he was at because he had a car. And I was like, what are you doing? And I didn't give him a chance to talk. He says, mom, 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 wait. I said, when you're going to do something like this, I totally support you. You can be marked absent or whatever. I let him stand up for what he believed. Mm -hmm. But that school board meeting they had that Wednesday after, they couldn't get any more people in there. Mm -hmm. They had so many people, they had parked all over the lawns. That was even people that did, people that wasn't even <coughs> from Southside. It was all around Beaver County coming. And they, they took that rolling they had in and took it out. 
Yeah. It takes just one person mm -hmm. to stand up. And he was, he was, the, he was the breadwinner. He was a teacher mm -hmm. that had been here for years. Yep. And he was highly respected. And he, he didn't know how he was going to feed his family. He didn't mm -hmm. know. He trusted in the Lord. Yeah. Amen. So it only takes one person. Mm -hmm. and everybody has to rally around those people to help put it. Just like the man in Oregon. Was it Oregon? Oh, uh, Idaho. Uh, Idaho. Mm -hmm. Just like that one mm -hmm. pastor, he stood up and he talked to other men, and other men talked to them. It just mm -hmm. takes one person, and you just have to support it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. There's a woman that I listen to a lot who talks about, you know, world things from a biblical perspective, and her kind of thing is raise a respectable ruckus. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be nasty or mean, but raise a respectable ruckus. Don't let it go. Don't brush it off. These kids are watching us. Teach our kids how to be contrarians in a biblical way. Let them be the ones who, who you know, an adult says something to them and they say, no, nah, it's not right, you know? So I'm gonna pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your blood, for the sacrifice that you made for us in such a beautiful example. Lord, I thank you for these women, for these women, for sisters in arms, that we can gather together and we can rally together and go out and fight this battle with you. Lord, I pray that you would touch our lives and change us in whatever way you need to. I pray that you will not let us leave here unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen. Close enough to it.